everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House, the chillest podcast even on the hottest days. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's state government and politics team. I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Jason Alatid. Jason, I like it. Is it? Have I been mispronouncing it this whole time? No. Yeah. Okay. You're spot on. Because it kind of reminds me of like apple pie a la mode. Jason yeah. Alatid. I'd say like Alabama, but <laughs> Alatid. Uh, so I, <laughs> How are you doing anyway? <laughs> doing well. Uh, yeah, you, you said it's hottest of days, but it, uh, I'm more complaining, complaining about the humidity. We, it, it was pretty wet out there this past weekend. Uh, yeah, it's not stormy. a dry heat, is it? That voice you hear is John Hanna, the man of the three of us victimized the most by the storm that rolled through last Friday. Yes. Uh, your your car windshield, uh, it, it took a little bit of a beating there, huh? Yes, it now has a hole, actually, and a section of the little section of the windshield, six, seven, eight inches of it is flipped inside, and there was a little water on the floorboard, and... Yeah, uh, apparently the wind picked up a branch, hurled it straight into the windshield, and left a nice little hole, so I have to get the windshield replaced. I was going to say that, Andrew, I was going to note for our listeners that we are so chill because we're award-winning. John, thank you for always finding a way to uh, mention that we were award-winning. Yes, yes. We love love you for it. Yes. Well, and, and, and since we were on the topic of cars, now is a good time to let people know that the Kansas Department of Insurance wants you to know that it is Vehicle Theft Awareness Month. <laughs> and Jason, awesome. Jason, you, you, you are aware of that, yes, right? Yes, I got this awareness a week later than what I needed it. Uh, my Hyundai was stolen while in Kansas City. Uh and that is how I found out that Hyundais and Kias have an issue that makes them more susceptible to theft. There's like a TikTok thing, right? Yeah. The uh, d- Did I say Hyundai and Kia? I, I hope that's what I said. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, it, it, if you are curious about the TikTok, it is Kia boys. Uh, I, I just, you know, did was it P.T. Barnum who said that you never... Uh, uh, you never went wrong underestimating the intelligence of the public um, or some, or customers or something like that. I mean, every time I look at, at TikTok, uh, I despair uh, of the uh, prospects of mankind surviving much longer. Well, uh, Kansas City, Missouri police found my car relatively quickly, uh, but that did not mean that I didn't lose personal stuff and didn't avoid damage to my car, so it is currently at a body shop. Uh, so there is your awareness, uh, if you, and especially if you are a driver of a Hyundai or a Kia, uh, you should look it up. Well, what is the special animus against Kias and Hyundais? They are especially easy to steal ah. because as lawyers in class action lawsuits allege, uh, there is a design flaw and more like a choice to not put in some basic technology Ah. with the ignition some anti-theft technology ah well speaking of lawyers and lawsuits (laughs) i was gonna go with if you're gonna drive you need a driver's license yes that's true and and we're back to uh uh 
uh, Senate Bill 180. Uh, I almost feel when like last we left off. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I don't. The line that comes to mind is from the Sounds of Silence, although uh, not, not not Hello Darkness, my old friend. Yeah, Hello Darkness, my old friend. <laughs> hello Senate Bill 8180, my old friend. Right, well, our old friend. Well, when last we left off. It's, it's like a, a Saturday morning cereal in the old days. Basically. A, a week ago when we did this podcast, we discussed uh, the temporary restraining order that was granted by Shawnee County District Court Judge Teresa Watson, basically requiring the state to stop allowing transgender individuals or anyone else, I suppose, from changing the gender marker on their driver's license. Uh, that was met the next day, and I think this is was not covered in our last podcast, by a full-throated response from the Kansas Department of Revenue uh, taking issue with the TRO and requesting a fuller hearing. That hearing happened on Wednesday. With uh, a little bit of difficulty. With some technical difficulties, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, the TLDR... Uh, the kids too long didn't read or i guess that's for the adults the kids already knew what that stood for uh yeah i was mystified when you threw out the acronym judge Watson did not reverse herself but john can you boil down briefly what are the main arguments that the department of revenue is making as to why uh, not only should this temporary restraining order be dissolved but that the Department of Revenue should be allowed to proceed uh, with these or uh, driver's license offices, which are under the Department of Revenue, should be able to proceed. With these well, the the, the argument the department made is that this law, the Senate Bill 180, its definition of male and female based on uh, the sex assigned at birth or reproductive anatomy at birth, observed at birth, however you want to put it, um, con- conflicts with a more specific driver's license law, which specifically mentions gender as something an applicant has got to provide in 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 seeking a license. And that word gender has been in the statute since 2007. And so the argument was from the Department of Revenue that it's obligated to follow the more specific statute rather than the general one. And that sometimes is a rule when when courts look at conflicts between statutes. And they also argued that if you're going to try to read these two statutes together in harmony, then you you would let the department continue to issue records, uh, issue driver's licenses with new uh, listings for sex to reflect a person's gender identity while maintaining a record of what it used to be in the past. Uh, Judge Watson did not buy that argument. Yeah, well, and it, it does get kind of confusing. The Attorney General is basically making the argument that for the purposes of state statute, sex and gender are not infrequently used interchangeably. And that this is one of Even though they're not, they're the, not same the same thing. thing. Um, I mean, I think a, a basic uh, perusal of Merriam-Webster would, would get at that. Sex is biological. Gender is more of what you perceive. Uh, am I, it's a social construct. Yeah. It's the collection of norms about how you dress and act and present yourself 
uh, in society. But but it does get tricky because if I were to pull out my Kansas driver's license, it would say sex. It would not say gender, right. despite that 2007 law. Right. So uh, in, it does get a little tricky, and, and it will be interesting to see how these arguments evolve over the course of the lawsuit because we also, Jason, right, got news late Tuesday. Was it late Tuesday or late Monday? The day it all runs together. together yes, uh, the ACLU of Kansas is seeking to intervene in this case on behalf of some transgender folks. Right. What's interesting is without their, uh, without this intervention, um, there is no uh, there, input from transgender actual people who were affected by the yeah uh that's the interesting thing i mean there in the petition for uh, the request for intervention they noted that yes the department of revenue's interests overlap a little bit but there's nobody raising right now other than them the question of whether this law is constitutional and and all of that and you, you yeah so and it would seem odd to have a dispute about driver's licenses for transgender individuals with no transgender individuals formally rec- represented in the courtroom. And at this point, they have filed requesting to be involved in this case. Judge Watson has not yet no. ruled on whether they will be allowed to intervene. And in addition, I think today, maybe yesterday, um, um, yesterday would have been Sunday, so not yesterday. Friday, there was a motion filed to expedite the consideration of of whether they will be allowed to intervene. Which, and and this is, I think, is a salient point. Getting at that hearing that was last Wednesday, and, and the decision from Judge Watson, because basically the ACLU is saying every checkpoint in this process that goes by without transgender people having a voice in these proceedings is damaging them uh, and is improper, basically. And and pointing specifically to, as part and parcel of all this, there is figuring out scheduling. You know, who's filing briefs when? There will eventually be a hearing on a longer-lasting injunction, possibly, yeah. forcing the Department of Revenue to stop these gender marker changes for a longer period of time. The ACLU wants to make sure that there is a determination on whether they can intervene and potentially appeal on whether they can intervene before that injunction is issued or, or dealt with, which we expect to be in the in the next few days because that temporary restraining order we mentioned only runs It runs through, through Monday, right? Yeah, another week. Another week. Um, so it, it – Things are moving. We'll be back next week with another update on uh, all things SB 180, it seems safe to say. Yeah. yeah we, we don't know which is going to happen first, the ruling on if the transgender individuals can be involved or the ruling on a longer uh, temporary injunction. And for those wondering at what point this could make it to the Court of Appeals and then to the Supreme Court, that would be on the temporary injunction because that can be appealed up. Well, and Jason, also Friday, so all of this is going on at the same time as a federal court case or court proceedings on uh, a court order, a 
consent judgment that the state entered into back in 2019 on birth certificates, which are kind of the the second part to the gender marker conversation. What Friday we we got a bit of a response from the transgender people who originally sued to change the policy back in 2018. They're not happy that the attorney general is seeking to reopen this case. But at the moment, we're kind of in an interesting situation with the birth certificate landscape, right? Yeah, we have a situation right now where if you are a transgender individual in Kansas, you can go to the Kansas Department of Health and Environment and change the gender marker on your birth certificate because of this federal court order applying specifically to birth certificates. But if you want to change the gender marker on your driver's license, which is done through the Department of Revenue, you can't because of the state court's temporary restraining order. Yeah, that that is an interesting and seemingly untenable. Well, uh, the yes, because often the birth certificate is the document you use to get your driver's to get your new and different driver's license. Um, and I don't think the temporary restraining order contemplates what the Department of Revenue is supposed to do in a situation where the birth certificate has already been changed and the Department of Revenue doesn't have a record of the previous version. Or if you were an out of state, if, if you were born in a different state and have a birth certificate that has been changed, but you have since moved to Kansas and want to change your driver's license, the I don't know if the agency has figured out what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is um, both both the governor and what's interesting is the governor is being criticized in in all of this, and yet she is not actually a party in that federal lawsuit, nor is she actually a party in the state court lawsuit she but she has filed her office has filed a, a, a request to be able to in the federal case to be able to file friend of the court arguments and that was an interesting document because uh, it suggested that uh, that the attorney general is reading the law too narrowly uh, I'm sorry too broadly and that a narrower reading would allow birth certificates to be changed without technically violating that law. Um, it's kind of a cheeky argument a little bit because it's saying that it, it points to the language of the statute, which says that any state or local agency conducting vital statistics data must maintain that data reflecting sex assigned at birth. But they make the point that it does not say that the that they must only maintain the record. Uh, right. Sex so they can. The, yeah, they can maintain so, so, multiple records on an individual. Well, and the argument is basically once a baby is born and a birth original birth certificate is issued, the argument was made that the Department of uh, Health and Environment has fulfilled its obligations under SB 180. It produced a document that reflected sex assigned well, at birth. Well, and, and now that, that actually that actually was the Attorney General's argument. Uh, in the news conference that kind of started all of this uh, on June 26th, I think 26th, yes, 26th, where he told he said that a birth certificate is a historical record. It's a record of an event. It's a record of a birth and what the what what the doctor determined at birth. Um, and so. Anything that comes after it is not a record of the birth, 
but the governor's office is arguing, well, that doesn't matter. You can, you know, th- what is interesting well, as long as there's something on file indicating yes, that sex then, then they're occurred. complying. Yeah, they're complying with the the law. I don't, you know, argue. I think there's a pretty good argument that that's not the spirit of the law, um, given the comments from uh, Attorney General Chris Kobach and other supporters of the law during that news conference. Uh, what, what, what is interesting is that they're making an argument that, for example, issuing, uh, making changes in driver's license, the gender markers on driver's licenses impedes law enforcement. Um, and th- I think Kobach said in that court hearing that he's got sworn statements from some uh, law enforcement people to attest to that. I, I think it's. I think there's a counter argument though that not allowing the gender marker changes actually makes it harder for law enforcement. Because you have documents that won't match. Well, I mean, let's say you're you're investigating. A, you're trying to find a suspect who. Uh, has a woman's name, presents as a woman, uh, lives as a woman, uh, and everybody knows her as a woman. But this person was assigned was assigned as male at birth. Well, if everybody everybody involved, all the witnesses, the victim, everybody knows this person as a woman and identifies this person as a woman. It, would it make it more difficult to look at the document and say, oh, it's male? And then you go looking for somebody who's more stereotypically male. Uh, th- I think that argument is out there. Well, and we should say that it was it, it came up during the hearing on this from the Department of Revenue that there actually are people. So the process is you get approval from the Department of Revenue that someone, a bureaucrat somewhere, must approve that gender marker change. And then and only then can you go to the driver's license office and actually get that updated document. Yeah. There are people who are basically stuck in purgatory where they have gotten that departmental approval to change their gender marker, but the driver's license offices across the state have been instructed not to not to process it and issue that new document because of this temporary restraining order. Right. And 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 you know, this is for transgender people, at least transgender people I've interviewed. This is not some esoteric issue of of uh, what's listed on a driver's license. This is, you know, am I going to get hassled by airport security? Am I going to get hassled when there when I when I have a traffic stop? Am I am I going to be hassled even when I'm, you know, uh, trying to to use a credit card. I mean, a bank, a bank, health insurance, health insurance, you know, and just the daily living, you're out in public and you're showing an ID that clashes with your identity and, you know, suddenly everybody in the room or the plaza or whatever knows that you're transgender. And for the trans people I've interviewed, that's unnerving because you don't know how everybody around you is going to react to that. And, you know, in the back of their minds are the incidents of violence and even murder of transgender people essentially for being transgender. Well, this is a 
pretty fast-moving situation. So uh, I guess hence the what the third, fourth week in a row. Yeah, like it is. It's just it. it's evolving. It's evolving pretty constantly. It's just you know it's it's a court case and and things are are happening. I think it's it's interesting. We had uh, an argument uh, in that in the federal case that um, that. The judge specifically in issuing the in issuing the order that enforces the legal settlement said that uh, the former policy, the no changes policy, vi- violated uh, constitutional rights, equal protection, due process under the Fourteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And their argument is that hasn't changed. There, right. yeah, you know, they, the way they put it was, yes, there have been a few outlying district court rulings, but there's no higher court ruling that, you know. Well, they effectively made the, they, they invoked probably the most infamous Kansas court case of all time, the Brown versus. Yeah, that was an interesting, that Same. was a, that was kind of a, a, a pretty uh, strong poke there. Well, they said basically that if, uh, to accept what they view as the attorney general's argument at face value, then it would have been easy to ensure segregation uh, remained intact by just passing another law to, right. you know, get a- <laughs> the whole point. The argument was the whole point of the consent decree was this was to prevent the state from violating these people's rights. And you can't get around that just by passing a new law and, you know, that that was the argument, and and uh, they they also argued that if the judge I, Daniel Crabtree I think allow follows what the attorney general wants, then their argument is is that people are going to lose faith in the court's ability to protect minority rights. Now, one interesting thing we did see was that Attorney General Kobach argued the case himself, mm-hmm. and in uh, Teresa Watson's With room. some Zoom difficulties that uh, yes. forced a recess. But he froze up a little bit at the start. Who hasn't been there? <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, as, as a brief aside, in a different court case on abortion, uh, the attorney general is no longer representing himself. Uh, that is now outsourced to the Alliance Defending Freedom, uh, and that's a Johnson County case. Yeah, that that is the case challenging the... Uh, the patient right to know, uh, woman, woman's right to know act. Uh, the uh, abortion medication stoppage reversal language. And, and, and more, too, and, including. And the, more. They are, uh, they are challenging the whole uh, informed consent requirement, but the, the providers are, but they, they're honed in on the latest thing that was passed this year. Uh, and well, some other abortion coverage you can read about, the new alternatives to abortion program. The state is now bidding out a contract for that. You can read more about it at cjonline.com. But I want to hear more about it now, Jason. Yeah, well, uh, so the state has a $2 million Where? fund. Uh, That's an easy way to get people to not listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the, the legislature, over the governor's veto, allocated $2 million to a new Alternatives to Abortion Fund. Uh, and this program, well, the, the state is bidding it out for a nonprofit to run it, uh, basically sending the money to anti-abortion counseling centers uh, that promote childbirth instead of abortion. 
Well, and this is going to be an interesting program to watch, right? Because a few other states do this, but uh, not as many provide direct funding to these crisis pregnancy centers as, say, a tax credit program, if I'm remembering that right. Which, which uh, I think Missouri, it did not make it because it was in that big uh combination of dozens of tax proposals that the governor vetoed um mississippi and missouri i think have a a tax credit to donors to these to these centers to kind of encourage them uh to give and to to boost Uh, the other thing that is interesting about this new program is that one of the things that the centers had hoped the money some of the money could be used for was advertising to become more visible and uh, the contract rfp the request for proposals that went out last week uh, it anticipates that at least 90 percent of this two million dollars will go to providing direct services so yeah like education uh parental classes uh um like diapers and car seats yeah like um like uh, what I remember of the one I visited, the Insight Center in Lawrence, they had this room where they just had all kinds of supplies for new parents. And that would leave less than $200,000 for this public awareness campaign. Uh, the one requirement of that is they need to build a website geographically indexed to various services across the state. Uh there's roughly 50 of these anti-abortion yeah. counseling centers across the state. Well, and they're they're more numerous. They're about 10 times, uh, let's see, they're probably about nine times as numerous as uh, clinics that provide some sort of abortion services. There are six of those clinics versus 50, 52, 53 of these, these centers. And in addition to a website, you could expect to see television ads or hear radio ads or perhaps even see billboards those have been contemplated along i-70 and i-35 well the, the insight for... center as you go from topeka to lawrence they actually have a billboard up right off the uh, right off the side of the road i saw it the other day as i was driving uh, and, east and the the thought behind that is to uh, catch the eye of mm-hmm. pregnant women and girls as they're driving to abortion clinics in Kansas from states that have banned or heavily restricted well, or, abortion, or just from, frankly, just from Topeka to Kansas City. The, you know, there are three clinics providing abortion-related services in the Kansas City area. Three, I think. Yeah, because there are three in the Wichita area, and so you'd have to go from Topeka to Kansas City. That would be the shortest distance. And so, yeah, you see this billboard, and the hope is is that if you're uncertain about a decision like that, that you would stop and think about it. Definitely interesting to see. And we, and we should say the RFP, to be clear, is for that middleman to manage the program and, and dole out the money. This is a strategy that has been used, I believe, in Pennsylvania as well, uh, where you have kind of that that intermediary, uh, which has gotten some criticism, though ultimately in Pennsylvania, I believe they found that that intermediary is subject to open records law. So that'll be an interesting. Development well, and, to track and in as this well. case, I mean, uh, put yourself in the shoes of the abortion opponents. You you 
provide $2 million for this program, and who is administering it? The administration of Governor Democratic Governor Laura Kelly, who is, she is a big abortion rights supporter, and she opposed uh, this program. And, and so they actually put this under the state treasurer's office. Yeah, and the, the treasurer's office has a limited contracting function and financial oversight. So the, the RFP says that uh, the payments will be made on a quarterly basis contingent on monthly reports to the treasurer's office. Presumably these reports would be public record, but it, it's not entirely It, it will just be interesting to see how all of this works logistically yeah when it all all comes to pass and who ends up being this uh uh third party administrator if i said monthly reports it should be quarterly quarterly Uh, reports but yeah the rfp closes uh, i think middle of august and at that point we will know who bid on the contract but we don't know it will be it will be interesting to see how many people are interested in doing this work and who they are whether you're going to get, whether you're going to get your basic, uh, you know, financial management firms, or whether this is going to be, you know, ma- mainly anti-abortion groups, I, who knows? And for the record, Kansans for Life has said they are not bidding. And right, you, you can read more about the RFP at cjonline.com. And Andrew, what else can they read about from the past week? Oh, lots of stuff. Train, uh, rail safety, uh, lots of SB 180, uh, uh, plenty of things. Evergy customers complaining about uh, mm-hmm. the rate-making proposal. That's right. So if you're if you're interested in, in that, uh, teacher shortage, uh, lots of things. Uh, cjonline.com is your best friend. Yeah. Weather updates and thunderstorms, like yes. the one that knocked out John's windshield. Yeah, it it did. Uh, it also took down a big, huge tree branch that crunched the fence between my yard and the the neighbor to the south. And John, where can they read your fine work? Uh, www.apnews.com, and you just go to the search function and type in Kansas. Um, and then I am on Twitter at APJDHanna. And Andrew, where are you at on Twitter? I'm at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L, Jason. At Jason underscore Alatid, A-L-A-T-I-D-D. And if you want to find uh, the Capital Journal, we are at CJ Online on Twitter. Uh, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And if you want to listen to back episodes of Chillin' in the State House, and you do, John's orders, uh, we are on Spotify. We're, we're just charming companions, aren't we? We are uh, perfect for all the summer because travels. that's what people in this building say that I'm so charming. Well, when when my girlfriend and I are on a road trip later this summer, I, we'll definitely be listening to Chillin' in the State House. Yes, Don't worry. I think that's I think that's wise, and and it'll be a fun fun trip. We've not gotten in the obligatory Disney reference. How did everybody staring at me? Because you're the Disney person. You're the one who had the flounder costume. Yeah. Well, so my hat was in my car so my k-state hat was stolen uh i regularly wear a hat to keep my hair from uh 
getting poofy in all the uh, Kansas humidity. So I have a flounder costume hat that my wife, uh, back when we were boyfriend-girlfriend, made me when we went on a Disney cruise. Uh, I dressed up as flounder, she as Sebastian. So uh, the only hat I could find was my flounder costume hat, so I've been wearing it uh, on the car ride into work. Do you, do you get stares? No. No fins on the hat? No fins no, on the hat? Not on the hat. Uh, I have a shirt and shorts to go with it at home, too. Well, I can't cool. wait to see you wearing I, that at what, work tomorrow. What, what, right? When we go to the parking garage on our way out, I'll, I, I can show you all the... I, I can't wait to see that. Um, I And I, just like I can't wait to have my windshield repaired. <laughs> um, well... <laughs> Now that we've suitably gone off topic, I think that's a sign to... Well, yes, yes. It's probably a sign to wrap things up, right? I'd say the writer's strike is why we don't have more content for Disney on the podcast. Oh, that's right. That's That's right. They aren't producing it. Although, would they produce new content or would they just do live action versions of old content? I don't know, but I... Are they going to get to the Hunchback of Notre Dame and and, uh, Pocahontas and Hercules? When are we doing the live action remake of Children in the State House? Well, we already are live. There's There's no artificial intelligence involved here. There's not even artificial stupidity involved here. Some episodes, people probably wonder. Oh, I, I th- are, don't they? We're art, even if we're stupid, we're articulate in our stupidity. That's true, right? You may, yep, that's true. Jason, Andrew, John, Andrew, Jason, gentlemen, a pleasure as always. Yes, and we'll be right back here, same time, same place next week to talk about SB one eighty all over again. Well, it, you you remember you uh, no, you don't remember because you're too young. But uh, the reruns were on when I was a kid. Same bat time, same bat channel. The old Batman TV series starring Adam West, coming from Zap, AP correspondent pow, John Hanna, pow. who wears a Batman, Batman lanyard. Yes, I'm a big Batman fan. Well, wait, wait, Cut, say, say that again. Uh, I'm a big Batman fan. <laughs> the the same bat time. Same bat time, same bat channel. To hear from the bat reporter about which Batman actor was the best. Oh, uh, Christian Bale. It's not even close. Go light him up on social media, folks. Yeah, that's right. And until next I'm time. I'm sure people have opinions. Send him opinions. a bat signal. A bat <laughs> signal. Send him a bat signal. We'll see you down the road, folks. Have a good one. <laughs>